Okay, so this morning we're, we're continuing the, se the series looking at God's plan for your well-being. So last week Alex was looking at uh, physical well-being and today we'll be covering uh, emotional well-being, the other side of that. So I think it's probably fair to say that the impact of, of COVID on our daily lives, particularly during the lockdowns where our normal way of life has been almost entirely changed, has been keenly felt on a, on a whole number of levels, financial, relational, spiritual, and emotional. For many of this, it has made existing difficulties we might have had more intense or revealed new issues that we were not previously aware of. It's certainly been true for me. I've discovered a huge amount about what fulfills me and what things drag me down during this time. It all goes without saying that we experience difficult times throughout our lives. And I hope what I share this morning will be useful in a whole variety of situations. But I think what's unique about the current pandemic, particularly in, in my lifetime, is that it's a completely shared experience amongst the vast majority of the population, unless you're lucky enough to be living somewhere that has avoided the worst of the restrictions. In this respect, the best equivalent I could think of was actually the First and Second World Wars. We're all going through a time of tremendous fear and uncertainty and change together collectively. Although we must also remember that people's experiences and struggles during this period do, do vary tremendously. I've experienced a lot of change to my emotions during the pandemic, especially during the lockdowns. And at first, actually, I don't think it, it felt all that bad. I occasionally worked from home and when we were having work done on the house. And so it, it felt relatively normal in those opening couple of weeks. But the longer lockdown went on, the more I became aware of this creeping sense of negativity, like I was slowly getting less happy, but didn't really understand why. Uh, a couple of months in, I found I was actually getting stressed really easily, having trouble winding down in the evenings after work, and just generally feeling at some sort of core level, unsatisfied and unfulfilled within myself. Now, these are just my experiences. But I'm sure most of us have been aware of some impact on our emotions uh, during this time. As a result, there have been times where I felt very angry with God, asking where he is in all this, why he doesn't intervene, why he seems quiet at a time when I need him most. But this is hardly an uncommon reaction to difficult situations. The Bible has many examples, and we'll look at some of these in the course of today's message. As you may be aware, some 40% of the Psalms are laments where the author is crying out to God for help or questioning why things are happening the way they are. Even though these were written by biblical heavyweights like David, who saw miraculous intervention by God in his life, they ask many of the same questions that I am. Psalm 22's opening line, God, why have you forsaken me, was repeated by Jesus at the cross at the most difficult time in his life, when he was in tremendous pain, being mocked by those around him and convicted of a crime he didn't commit. It seems to me that Jesus was very human in that moment. And I've come to understand that these are not necessarily signs of weak faith, faith or, a, or a cry for doubt, but rather an urgent appeal to God to intervene in our circumstances. Indeed, Passionately petitioning God in difficult moments is actually proof of faith in him rather than the opposite. And we shouldn't feel shameful about that. 
I want God to break out in this pandemic. Don't get me wrong. I want my circumstances to change. I want so badly to see miracles happen right in front of me in ways that I can't explain. But as the book Emotionally Healthy Spirituality explains, sometimes we need to go through the seemingly impossible barriers or obstacles, which it refers to as walls, that we're confronted with in difficult situations. And this is actually part of our ongoing relationship with God. Take, for example, Abraham waiting at the wall for 25 years for the birth of his first child with his wife, Sarah. Or the next wall he encountered when God asked him to sacrifice that same child, Isaac, on the altar. God can use these moments to rewire us and bring us into closer and more fulfilling relationship with him. Breaking down attachments to what we think we should be or the values we have. I'm not saying that God causes these situations, these walls to occur, but he can meet us there in ways we might not understand or expect. And the only way to pass through these walls sometimes is to go through them with the learning and the transformation that comes with it. The emotions we feel in both the good times and the bad do matter to God. There are numerous examples of Jesus experiencing the very strongest of human emotions, from his sadness at the death of his friend Lazarus, to his anger when children were kept from him, to joy when he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, given that we are made in God's image and Jesus was God in human form, it's clear that we are made to be emotional beings. And God often interacts with us through these emotions. But what are at the root of the emotions we feel? Why do we feel them at all? To understand that, we need to look at what's going on inside our brains. I discovered a book called The Chimp Paradox some years ago, and it, it wouldn't be an understatement to say it's one of the most important books I've ever read. It's written by a guy called Steve Peters, who was always uh, a psychiatrist, who made, works mainly with professional sportsmen and women, such as Ronnie O'Sullivan and Victoria Pendleton and the English football team. He developed a mind model in which our brains are effectively divided into two distinct entities, the human and the chimp. The human is the frontal part of the brain and is effectively where you, as a conscious being, reside. The chimp represents the limbic system and is an emotional machine that's effectively part of your inner subconscious workings. In essence, it's the chimp that's responsible for the emotions we feel. These two parts of the brain actually developed independently from each other at different times, and thus interactions between them can sometimes be difficult and lead to internal conflict. As you might imagine, the human and the chimp have quite different ways of thinking about things. The human tends to be more fact-based, logical and rational, whereas the chimp is thinking emotionally and works much more with feelings and impressions. As a result, the chimp is often very quick to jump to conclusions. It sees the world in very much in terms of black and white and is prone to catastrophizing the situations it encounters. It's perhaps no surprise that children often view things as either brilliant or a disaster because their human is not yet mature and the chimp is doing most of the thinking. That's not to say that the, the human and the chimp are always in disagreement with each other. For example, imagine you were on holiday somewhere and the ground starts to shake. The chimp will respond to this with strong emotions of fear and panic. And the human may well agree that that's actually a sensible and logical response because an earthquake could be coming. To understand why we experience the emotions we do, 
we need to understand what the chimp needs, what, what actually drives it. Put simply, the chimp's focus is self-survival. As a result, it's driven by aspects such as ego and territory, security, power, status, and being part of a group or, or troop that can protect it. These are the more primitive instincts within us. Therefore, it's not surprising that when we're on unfamiliar territory and things are changing or are uncertain, such as a global pandemic, the chimp becomes extremely anxious and sends a, a cascade of emotions to us because it's the things it values are in danger. It's almost as if the current situation that we're in was deliberately designed to unsettle our chimps. Coupled into this is something psychologists call the negative bias. We naturally pay more attention to negative things. So something very positive will generally have less of an impact on our behavior and our thinking than something that's equally emotional but negative. This is why if you meet 10 people at a party and one of them is unpleasant to you, that's the one you will remember. But why do we do this? Why do we have this bias? Much like the focus of the chimp I mentioned earlier, the purpose is survival. Our ancestors who, who paid attention to the things that could endanger them in some way, such as a saber-toothed tiger, were the ones who generally lived long enough to procreate. And thus, that, that way of thinking was passed from generation to generation. Of course, there are not very many saber-toothed tigers wandering the streets of Hitchin these days, but the thinking still remains and gets applied to the world as we encounter it, even if actually that is an overreaction. This is why we need very many more positive experiences than negative ones to feel stable and balanced. Indeed, it's been suggested that we need almost three times as many positives to negatives. So how do we find balance at this time when there's so much negativity around and we've been completely destabilized? Our emotional well-being has effectively been compromised largely by our primitive response to things outside of our control. And how does God fit into this? The first thing I suggest is be real with God. Talk to him, get angry with him, reach out to him. He wants to hear from you in the good times and the bad. I've always found it very useful to think of God as a parent. If you were or are a parent and your child was going through a difficult time, I imagine you would want them to tell you about it rather than trying to keep it sort of pent up inside or trying to deal with it by themselves. Of course, I appreciate that not all of us will have had good experiences of parenting, but remember that God is the perfect parent. He's free from brokenness and sin, and he knows you so intimately. He's not interested in the sugar-coated version of you, nor what you think he wants to hear. Remember David, who was so honest in sharing his emotions with God, is described in Acts 13, verse 22, by God himself as a man after his own heart. Not to mention it's good for us to get emotions out. The chimp I spoke about earlier does not like being ignored and not listened to. Keeping God at the centre of our lives when things are going wrong can be really, really powerful. A great example of this is found in Matthew 14, starting at verse 22. Following the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus has dismissed the crowd and he's gone up on the mountainside to pray. The disciples have set out across the lake in a boat and they find themselves in the middle of a fierce storm and they're completely terrified by it. The well-known part of the story is that Jesus walks on water towards them. 
But I want to focus on what happens just after that, because Peter, who was in the boat, steps out of the boat and he too walks on water towards Jesus. However, as soon as his focus shifts away from Jesus and the storm around him and the waves, he starts to sink. This is a really important lesson. If we get lost in the difficulties of our situation, of the fears and the worries that come with it, then they start to get on top of us and start to bring us down. Yet if we hold on to our faith and keep our eyes on Jesus, we're capable of the miraculous just like Peter was, despite the fact that the situation still exists. Secondly, look at ways to build resilience. There's a great article in the Harvard Business Review where they looked at the characteristics that survivors of the Holocaust had, which enabled them to endure the horrors of the concentration camps and then come out the other side. The main three were having a sense of meaning or purpose, an acceptance of reality and a value system. I'll consider each of these in turn, starting with having a source of meaning and purpose. Viktor Frankl, who was an Austrian psychiatrist and an Auschwitz survivor, would actually imagine himself giving a lecture after the war on the psychology of the concentration camp to help people outside understand what he and others have been through. Although this was a very simple thing, it gave him some concrete goals and a reason for being in the situation he was. Through this, Victor also gained hope, and the value of hope must not be underestimated. Take again the situation encountered by Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19 that we first looked at last week. Here we find Elijah in a really difficult place. Despite the miraculous acts of God, he's on the run from a queen who is, is basically out to kill him because he's killed uh, the false prophets she listened to. And he's alone in the wilderness. The Bible tells us he's very afraid and he prays to God that he might die. He says, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. He's clearly experiencing fatigue, discouragement and hopelessness. However, he's visited twice, once by an angel and then by God himself, encouraging him to get up and carry on, which he does. He rediscovers his hope in God and is able to continue, despite the fact the overall situation he's in hasn't been resolved. It's still as it was. Hope and trust in God's will in the darkest situations provides strength to carry on. That said, I'm aware in some situations it may be difficult to understand why things are happening and to discern God's will in that moment. But turning towards him rather than away, as we see throughout the Bible, helps people move past difficult times. The next characteristic that was identified as important in those camps was an acceptance of reality rather than misplaced optimism. Those who thought they'd be out by Christmas or out by this time next year actually distorted their sense of reality and their rose-tinted view of the world did more harm than good. So whilst we should try and avoid getting lost in depressing thoughts, a dose of realism can actually be helpful. And then there were the people who had the strong value systems. It's not particularly fashionable these days to talk about your values, but it does seem that it provides a good source of resilience. Many successful companies around the world have written into their company charter a set of values that all employees are expected to conform to, such as respect, integrity, honesty, and accountability. These have the effect of framing important decisions and events. And no matter what is taken away from you, as was so much taken away from the survivors of those camps, your, your values cannot be changed unless you choose to change them. 
Indeed, Jesus spoke and demonstrated many of the values that we as Christians are to embody, such as generosity, courage, love, respect, hope and peace. Through the Bible, we actually have a pre-made set of values that we can cling to in the storm. Of course, I'm not suggesting for one moment that lockdown is like a concentration camp, but there are clearly similarities in how we can approach situations like this to help get us through. The third thing I would suggest this morning is to look for things that make you feel contented and bring balance. These don't have to be big things, just activities that exercise different parts of your personality. Part of the reason that negative emotions are so overwhelming us is so much of the positive stuff that makes us happy just happy just isn't happening at the moment. As I said earlier, we need a lot of positive things to give us balance. So if you have a creative side of your personality, deliberately seek out opportunities to be creative, like photography, painting, or gardening. If you know that logic appeals to you, then buy a Lego set or try a bit of computer programming. It's no wonder that shares in uh, sales in Hornby uh, products who make model railways and airfix kits and things like that increased by almost 33% compared to 2019, as people did exactly like this. It might sound a bit twee, but I would actually encourage you to be really deliberate about this and make a list of all the things that make your heart sing and engage different parts of your mind and personality, and then go and do them. I discovered this in the first lockdown, and I was amazed what a difference it made in making me feel fulfilled. I think the truth is we don't consciously think about this stuff. We don't think about balance in our normal lives. But when so much is taken away, for whatever reason, we need to restore it. Finally, something you might not be aware of is there's actually a very strong link between emotional health and the physical well-being that Alex spoke about last week. I remember a story my doctor once told me of a lady who came into his surgery who had severe leg pain. Uh, sort of the upper part of her leg was in absolute agony. She'd seen all sorts of specialists, tried all sorts of tests, but nothing appeared to be wrong, and and all the treatments she'd had just hadn't done anything to take away the pain. By the time she was sat in front of my doctor, she was really at her wit's end. But rather than focusing on what the other doctors hadn't tried, he asked her how she was doing emotionally, and it turned out that she was suffering with depression. In this case, the most appropriate treatment was antidepressants. And as if by magic, the leg pain went away. It wasn't real, even though it felt completely real to the lady. It illustrates what a powerful coupling there is between the mind and the body, and how we must not fall into the trap of considering them as separate entities. The good news about this relationship is that physical aspects such as rest and exercise can also have positive impacts on our emotional well-being as well as our physical well-being. So to sum up, this is a difficult time. We all experience difficult times. Don't sugarcoat it. Don't expect normal levels of operation or try and ignore it. Your well-being should be top priority right now. You can't measure the success in your life in the same way that you would have done if things were normal. So be mindful not to judge yourself or others by how you and they are coping with things. Instead, be real in this time, both with God and others. Acknowledge the way that you're built and look for balance by focus on what gives your life meaning and purpose, what values you hold and what gives you hope and contentment. Look to Jesus as the ultimate source of hope and know that 
even if you can't see it or feel it, he is working. 